uh, what we're finding promotes resilience is really developing essentially what are what are like emotional intelligence kinds of competencies if, if your listeners are familiar with that concept which is kind of predicated on self-awareness cultivating self-awareness and the capacity to emotionally self-regulate and manage relationships well um, but it all starts with self-awareness and the research is is clear we all may start at a different point with our eq our emotional intelligence um, but everybody can grow in that, and there are a variety of ways to do that through Christian practices, certainly through therapy, coaching. Um, we, we can't cultivate self-awareness by ourselves, so we we are dependent on, on community to help us to do that. And the more self-aware we can become, the, the healthier our leadership is, the healthier our our church will be, and the more cl- with more clarity we can respond to the mental health needs in our congregation and community. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. Welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. My name is Laura Howe, and I am so excited that you are joining us today. Serving in ministry can be so, so rewarding, but it can also be really, really hard. There are very few opportunities to talk about these hard experiences, uh, and there's a lot of barriers to them as to doing that as well. There can be this sense of guilt that you're talking negatively about the Lord's work, or maybe there's some shame there about not being able to handle what God has called you to do. Or there are huge expectations placed on you, and there just isn't time for you to acknowledge these hard moments. You are moving so fast. You are so busy. There is no time to stop and reflect. And it's been in my experience that there is this belief that reflecting or thinking on or sharing about these negative experiences, it, it doesn't solve anything, so there's no point in doing it. But like all emotions, when we don't have an opportunity to express them and we just hold them all inside, they can become compressed inside of us. They can turn into poison. I was speaking with a ministry leader recently who has been under a tremendous amount of stress and pressure. There's lots of toxicity in his culture, in his organization and in the culture there, and they are trying to work it out. And one day while he was at home, he passed out. Doctors, his wife took him to the hospital and doctors found out that he had an ulcer that was so severe that he passed out because he had lost so much blood. I am sure that you have heard of other examples of people in your life who have harbored unforgiveness, anger, and jealousy, and it grew inside them like a cancer, and it mutated into some other negative consequence or situation. Now, I'm not here to fearmonger or share a story of doom and gloom that if you don't talk about negative things, you're going to get an ulcer. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do want to dispel the myth that talking about hard things doesn't help. Holding in hard things actually has more negative impacts on our mental health, on our physical health, on our relationships, and even on our spiritual life. 
but talking about them, they can be, they can release that pressure. It can fight the loneliness and it can help you reflect and grow. I'm curious if anyone remembers that original Disney Lion King movie. My Char- my Charlotte, <laughs> my daughter Charlotte is in a kids theater program and they are doing Lion King movie this year. And I clearly, I failed as a parent because she has told me that she has never watched the movie Lion King. So this past Sunday, we watched it as a family. And of course, my husband and I felt like we could have rehearsed or recited the whole thing. And it's amazing how some of these things stick in your head from your childhood. But I digress. Charlotte's favorite character of the movie was Rafiki, especially the part when he was teaching grown Simba a lesson about learning from the past. Anyone remember that scene? I'm sure you do. Simba is running away from its past, saying it doesn't matter. He just wants to push it away. Then Rafiki knocks him over the head and says, well, it doesn't matter. That was in the past. They chat a bit more, and then seconds later, Rafiki tries to take another swing, but Simba ducks, thereby learning from the past. I think the sentiment that most people mean when they are pushing down past experiences is that they don't want their mistakes or difficult times or traumas or experiences to define their future. And I get that. No one wants something negative to define their identity. So rather than talking about it or reflecting it, we just ignore it, push it down. It seems easier to do that than to face what has happened. I believe the number one reason why ministry leaders don't talk about hard times is that there is no safe space to talk about. There's no one to trust. All their relationships are enmeshed in their ministry. Everyone has expectations from them. They're either pastor, lead, uh, a leader, uh, it's their denomination, or, or maybe their family. Ministry leaders don't avoid talking about hard things because they don't want to, but rather is because they don't talk about hard things because they don't have anyone that they trust or anyone that they feel comfortable to talk to. Our guest today on the podcast is Reverend Dr. Chris Adams of Biola's Rosemead School of Psychology and the Flourishing in Ministry Coaching Initiative. This is Chris's second time on the podcast. Back in episode 106, he was talking about what the Bible says about mental health, and as Rosemead is the presenting partner of the Church Mental Health Summit. And I wanted to invite Chris back to talk on the podcast more about the Flourishing in Ministry initiative. I think that this is an incredible opportunity for leaders to live well, despite the challenges that come with a life in ministry. Now, while Chris has dozens of publications and research papers all on clergy well-being and, and mental health and faith in the church, he and he actively practices as a psychologist, I need to remind you that the, all of this is informed by his lived experience as a third-generation pastor. He didn't just study overcoming the challenges and of flourishing in ministry. He has lived it out as a pastor's kid and as a pastor and chaplain himself. Yeah, so my my grandfather on my father's side was um, a pastor. Um, he, he was called to vocational ministry kind of in midlife in his mid-30s and went back to seminary at, at Harvard, actually, and then ended up pastoring mostly small, what I call clergy-killing churches in New England, <laughs> most of his um, uh, pastoral ministry, and then ended up in uh, the Midwest, um, at some larger churches toward the end of his career. And, uh, my dad who just turned 80 yesterday, 
Uh, I don't think he'd mind me saying that. Um, (laughs) uh, Has been in music ministry um, his whole life and my whole life. So worship leader, songwriter, pianist, um, and in local church ministry, as well as other forms of that. And uh, um, I have a number of so years. So not only did you grow up like in Sunday morning, but you were at like band practice and oh, sound check and you lived there. <laughs> absolutely. I, I like to, so many stories. I've been to so many, what I call off, off, off Broadway church productions um, <laughs> in my life and all the mishaps that come with those. And, um, but yeah, in many ways, what incredible way to grow up, just really a lot of mm-hmm. joy around music ministry in our lives and family and um, big, big part of our story. And as part of that, I, uh, there were times in my dad's career when he traveled quite a bit all over the country. And he, uh, he's a warm, sensitive guy and pastors would just share with him after service, you know, over, Mm -hmm. over a meal. And so very early in life, I heard a lot of amazing kind of models of ministry and, different ecclesiologies and contextualized ministries and so forth, but also heard a lot of common pain um, Mm. from pastors across a whole variety of traditions within Christendom. And I think in retrospect, God was shaping something in me, even from an early age through that experience of developing kind of a burden for uh, pastors. Having heard the stories of my grandfather's stress and he died young of a heart attack um, and, uh, hearing from just hundreds and hundreds of pastors all my life Mm -hmm. Uh, and then having my own experience in pastoral ministry and university chaplaincy that was both wonderful and at times incredibly stressful and even traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that led to a blend of becoming a psychologist, specializing in working with pastors and missionaries and their families, which I've been doing now for quite some time, but find great joy in it. So what was it that led you to uh, mental health and wanting to be some, a psychologist? Because, you know, I hear from some pastors that they're like, that's mostly what I did anyway. And I felt ill-equipped. So I went into, went back to school. Yeah. What about your story? What led you into that work? Yeah, great question. Um, <clears throat> probably a number of factors. I think part of it was I, I've just always been a person that people talk to. Uh, don't know Being why. Being one of those people, I, yeah. I can attest to that. I mean, I, I want to share a bunch of stuff with you right now. See, that's the way you seem to have that effect on people. No, I, I um, even as a no, kid. No, I meant I share with you. That's what I meant. Oh, gotcha. Um, Every time I talk with you. Gotcha. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. And just even as a kid, I think other, my friends and even adults would yeah. just share with me. And so I found myself listening a lot and I think learned how to listen deeply, um, mostly from my mom, who's just a wonderful Mm -hmm. listener. And um, I think part of it for me, I I went through a life-threatening illness at the age of 10, which was a significant traumatic event in my life that I think maybe sensitized me to some some things as well. Um, But just felt more drawn to pastoral care and counseling types of things, even in the pastoral roles that I was in. Uh, I was in music ministry initially right out of college because that was the family business, you know, I grew up with. And people would come up after church and share, you know, I just got divorced or mm-hmm. I'm depressed or whatever the situation is. And I'm like 22 years old and have a theology bachelor's degree. But I'm like, I, I don't know what to say to these people. And I found myself <laughs> wanting to kind of journey with people 
mm-hmm. over the long haul in those kind of scenarios and, and just felt drawn to, to get more training over time. Um, and uh, that's what led to graduate school and uh, becoming more and more focused in mental health kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're at Rosemead uh-huh. uh, now. Yes. You're at Rosemead. And Rosemead is the home of the Flourishing and Ministries study, but that's not its origin. Tell me more about Correct. where the study came from. Yeah, no, that's been a bit of a journey as well. So the study uh, was originated by a guy named uh, Matt Bloom, Dr. Matt Bloom, who was a professor at University of Notre Dame for many years. And his wife is a Methodist pastor. So he lived life as a pastor's spouse uh, for many years. And he had studied well-being at work um, in helping professions okay. with the thought that if we can learn from people that seem to be flourishing um, in life it, while they're in the midst of helping other people. So they're kind of immersed in the human condition every day and exposed to other people's trauma and suffering and loss and, and uh, so forth. And yet still seem to be flourishing. How are they doing that? Um, and so he looked mm. at medical professionals, teachers, um, therapists, relief and development workers in high risk parts of the world, and then clergy. And I got involved uh, right around a decade or so ago as a consultant and researcher in the project, there was a whole team of folks uh, at Notre Dame and, and some other places around the country that were involved. And uh, that just continued to grow and progress until we landed on the model that we now have of, of flourishing in ministry for pastors. And Dr. Bloom decided he was going to retire from academia um, several years ago. And so he did that. And uh, I was not expecting this, but he uh, very graciously handed off the project. I uh, wanted to see it keep going. And so I, he's still a senior consultant and, and the guru that I, I <laughs> talk to when I need some advice about something. But um, incredibly generous person um, yeah. and uh, just wanted to give this away to the church. Um, wanted it to mm-hmm. just be helpful to people. Um mm-hmm as he had seen his own wife's journey in ministry and, you know, all that was wrapped up in that. And, um, and so, uh, so about two years ago, um, it transferred to me and then I've been here at Rosemead for about a little over a year at Rosemead graduate school psychology. Yeah. I'm curious, what were some of the findings? Because my background isn't clergy Mm -hmm. or in the church. My background is a social worker in community mental health setting and did quite a bit of work on trauma and compassion fatigue and, and, you know, keep staying resilient Uh uh, while at work on some of the projects. And so I can relate a little bit to that. And that actually was my transition into working with churches as well. I I noticed that, hey, if I have an experience of compassion fatigue that required me coming off of work sick and seeking counseling and, you know, on my knees before God going, God, help me make sense of all of this. How much more so would those in ministry who don't have a frame of reference or context to what they're experiencing? I'm really curious about some of the findings of that research that, that was done. Why, why did the project continue with I guess it was twofold. Did the project continue in other um, applications or was it focused on clergy? 
And what were some of those findings? Yeah, it it did continue with some some other helping professions um, as well. And there, there are things that all helping professions have in common that are, you know, people helping jobs. But then there's some things that are really unique about ministry leadership, even among other helping professions. And mm-hmm. um, so, for example, one of those is is what we call role immersion, meaning you're, you're immersed in the role 24-7 in a really unique way, unlike really any other role. Um, social worker may come close in some ways or family physician who's on call, but... Um, but the way uh, pastors occupy that role 24-7 uh, is really unique. And there are wonderful, mm-hmm. beautiful things about that, but there are also challenging things about that with respect to stress management and, and uh, detaching and taking time off and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we found is that there, there are some identifiable practices <laughs> that uh, clergy can do to help themselves flourish in the key areas that we've identified by looking at the larger human flourishing, positive psychology research that is out there. And there's a global body of research now uh, where people are studying human flourishing. And what's so amazing, Laura, is that many of the practices that science is quote unquote discovering are ancient Christian (laughs) spiritual practices. Um, Oh, imagine that. (laughs) Yeah. Almost as if God created us and knows what we need in order to flourish and um, and so we've taken that and right. and put that in conversation with thousands and thousands of clergy across a broad range of Christian traditions and and identified the things that seem to be especially important for ministry leaders mm-hmm. um, to mm-hmm. prevent burnout um, and promote flourishing, uh, prevent depression, which we know is a significant issue for clergy, some of the physical health issues that uh, clergy seem to have a prevalence of as a group of people, um, there are ways to, to both prevent and ameliorate those difficulties and also promote, uh, the abundant life. And so the, the research, you mentioned resilience, and I just find this to be more and more important, um, in a post COVID era, uh, what we're finding promotes resilience is really developing, uh, essentially what are, what are like emotional intelligence kinds of competencies. If, if your mm-hmm. listeners are familiar with that concept, mm-hmm. which is kind of predicated on self-awareness, cultivating self-awareness and the capacity to emotionally self-regulate and manage relationships well. Um, but it all starts with self-awareness. And mm-hmm. the research is is clear. We all may start at a different point with our EQ, our emotional intelligence, um, but everybody can grow in that. And there are a variety of ways to do that through Christian practices, certainly through therapy, coaching, um, we, we can't cultivate self-awareness by ourselves. So we, we are dependent on, on community to help us to do that. And the more self-aware we can become, the, the healthier our leadership is, the healthier our, our church will be. And the more cl- with more clarity, we can respond to the mental health needs in our congregation mm-hmm. and community. Mm-hmm. You know, Whenever I connect with a church, one of the first things they ask is, how can I help others? How can I fix others? And you're telling me now that it actually starts with them as an individual, that it's not about focusing on a program or a project or a small group study or a Bible study or discipleship of others. It's, It's focusing on our own, their own self-awareness. 
Yes, I think it's a both and for sure. I mean, we okay. do need to get to the point where we we know we have some equipping and some tools and how do we respond well to to other people's needs. Um, but the, the more self-aware that we are, the more we can respond rather than just react. And there's a big distinction yeah. there. Um, yeah, yeah. I sort of knee-jerk react maybe out of things that are outside of my awareness in a way that would maybe even unintentionally do harm in some way. Um, mm-hmm. I can respond, which implies a much more thoughtful um, uh, And it's so much harder. Oh, it is. It is, absolutely. <laughs> it's so much harder. Yeah, it is. It, it requires us to do some of our own work along the way. And, yeah. Um, and, and pay attention as, as wounded healers, pay attention to our own, mm. um, our own vulnerabilities and make sure we're caring for those so that we can be of optimal use to, uh, to God and to respond mm-hmm. to the people that are seeking care from us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for the context, you know, I want to dive into more about what the coaching program entails. Um, and cause there's two ways you can engage with the flourishing and ministry, um, initiative that you have going on. It's becoming a coach and receiving coaching. I want to learn more about that, but for the context of this conversation and for the listeners, we keep using the word clergy and many of the people listening are sitting as a caregiver, but may not necessarily yes. identify as clergy. Would you say that there is a difference in responsibility or difference in impact, or can you define what you mean by clergy or who would be most uh, appropriate for this, for the yeah, work that we're going to no, be talking about? That's a great question. About? And thank you for that reminder. I, I would say maybe ministry leader more broadly. Um, yeah. So it may okay. not necessarily be a full-time paid ordained clergy person, but someone who's in a pastoral caregiving role with a significant part of their time. And sometimes that's a, mm-hmm. a lay person um, who's volunteering, but they're, they're functioning pastorally essentially in, right. in what they're doing. Um, and so a lot of the same challenges are going to come up for them, uh, as would a full-time, you know, ordained clergy person. Um, and, uh, so I, I think we can think broadly about kind of ministry leaders, awesome. pastoral care giver type folks, um, broadly speaking. Yeah. Um, does that answer yeah. your question? No, that's great uh, because so many people are like, I'm not clergy, but yeah. I hear people's problems all day. Like yeah. I'm going, I'm, I'm dropping off meals. I'm visiting the people who are homebound. Yes. I'm visiting the hospital. I'm praying with people after service, or I'm leading a small group and hearing people's suffering. And so, you know, it's the, it's more of the caregiver yes. uh, that you're talking yes. about. And, and that's such a beautiful thing, too. I mean, that's the, the beauty of the church when the body is caring mm-hmm. for itself. And it's not just all up to the pastor or pastoral staff. But um, but sharing that load um, is, is one of the things that certainly mm-hmm. helps full-time um, ordained pastors with their own stress and, and sustainable kinds of rhythms is when they have yeah. a lot of help with all of those kinds of things that you just mentioned. And so one of the things that excites me so much about Hope Made Strong is helping helping churches think about systems of care um, and how do we develop those instead of expecting all that to come from just a couple of people or one person. Um, so that's really significant. And um, and yeah, and anybody that's uh, on the front line, so to speak, there there is a huge research literature, Laura. You probably know this on social workers, therapists. Um, on what's called vicarious trauma or vicarious grief. When you hear about other people's suffering and other people's trauma, 
enough, we can develop symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. as if we were the ones who had experienced Mm -hmm. the trauma. And ministry leaders are first responders. Absolutely. And this hasn't been written about nearly enough, in my opinion. So there are people who are people of faith will go to their their friends in the congregation and go to their pastor first before they go to the trauma therapist yeah. or the psychiatrist or physician or whomever. And we need all those other specialists, but um, they're not the first responder. And so the, um, the emotional load of that, the emotional toll of that can be really significant and mm-hmm. learning how to kind of monitor your, yourself and be aware and process what you might be carrying as a result of that exposure um, is, is really a significant practice we're finding that flourishing mm-hmm. pastors do. They have mm-hmm. places where they can talk to others and process what they've been exposed to and what feelings that evokes in them, what they're carrying as a result in terms of mm-hmm. grief and loss or anger or any number mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. um, because because they're human. We're going to have a human response. (laughs) I hope people are hearing this and feeling validated that if they are struggling with feeling run down or jaded or resentful or lethargic or just apathetic in their work, that it's not because you're disqualified. It's not because you're, you're no longer, you know, qualified or should be in ministry. It doesn't define who you are. It's a result of being incredible work that you're doing. And I hope you're hearing this and saying, okay, this isn't where the story ends, is it? Chris, this is, we are just beginning because you're going to share now about what, so you've taken all the research and this is some of the amazing work um, that you're doing and and what Rosemead does and is it takes research and puts it into practical application. This is, and and I think that's so necessary and so valuable. And so what are the tangible or practical outcomes from this research, what is available now in the flourishing and ministry uh, initiatives? Thank you so much for asking, Laura. Um, so, two two primary um, pieces to that. The one is a flourishing and ministry coach certification. That is a training that is available at sixteen weeks long, two hours a week of synchronous training, where everybody's online together. It's all online over Zoom, and then t- about two hours a week of outside. Uh, that classroom time of reading and, and doing some exercises, that kind of thing. And what we have done is taken the flourishing and ministry research and melded that with the core competencies for coaching from the International Coaching Federation. So coaching is kind of a kind of a wild, wild west of unregulated quality in many ways. And so anybody can call themselves a coach and put up a website, you know, with zero credentials, which happens. We wanted to do something that was research-based and best practice-based. ICF really is the global gold standard for coaching. They have a lot of research-based competencies, and you have to demonstrate those competencies uh, in live coaching, take an exam, there's a code of ethics, and you have to Mm. do continuing education to keep your ICF credential, et cetera. So at least there's some kind of bar for quality, and we are accredited as an ICF uh, training uh, center. Um, That's awesome to hear. And uh, so the, the coach training uh, could really be used to do any kind of coaching, um, be just in terms of the competencies, but we do tailor it to the flourishing and ministry content, which is more about um, well-being and, and spiritual formation of ministry leaders. 
as opposed to more ministry skills per se. There's some great coaching out there for, uh, you know, beefing up your preaching skills or evangelism skills or whatever it might be. And that's needed and really good stuff. Um, we're more focusing on the the person in, in a holistic mm-hmm. sense and their formation and well-being. And how does that connect then to leadership and, and how do you lead and serve out of a, a place of health and flourishing um, as opposed to a, a place of depletion? Challenging for all so- of us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the people who attend this coaching seminar, I just want to clarify. So are these the people who are, are these the pastors and you want to uh, lead a healthy team and, you know, raise up volunteers and be available for coaching and debriefing and supporting your team? Or is it you are kind of a mentor of pastors and these are going to boost your skills and give you what you need to be able to really impact um, more of a uh, other pastors? Or perhaps is it both? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, great question. <laughs> it really is all, all the above. We've had okay. um, kind of a spectrum of folks who some are denominational leaders who care for clergy, um, some are mental health professionals, Christian mental health professionals, social workers, therapists who spend a significant amount of their time supporting ministry leaders in some way and wanted to do more coaching along those lines. Um, some are just local pastors who want to be able to, to implement these skills with their own pastoral team and lay mm-hmm. leaders and yeah. maybe some pastoral colleagues. So it's it's been a broad range of people. Um, and mm-hmm. we we're moving toward having the training available in Korean and Spanish in addition to English. We don't quite have that yet, but we will soon, uh, which is exciting. And uh, yeah, so it's, the point of it is we also emphasize the, your own process of your own well-being as part of the training. So we're focusing on both your formation as well as the coaching skill development, lots of coaching practice, lots of feedback, from expert coaches who observe your coaching um, because that's the best way to learn is just to do it and get feedback. Mm. Mm. So I love this because I was just talking with a care coordinator from a church the other day and they were saying, I, they uh, are fairly new in the job, less than a year. And they told me, they're like, you know, I thought my role was I was going to connect with congregants and partner with organizations and help other people. But she said that what I'm finding is that a significant portion of my job, at least a half a day a week, if not twice, is being the stop in for their other staff, that their office has become a safe haven for many of the staff because they are, they are inside of, we'll say the, 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 this behind the scenes, you know, role of being a ministry leader and they are, have become the safe person. And so I think for a lot of care coordinators and care pastors, like you said, you attract these conversations and it could be hard to navigate. How do I support peers or really, you know, if your role is normally praying for someone or referring someone, now you're having these in-depth conversations. It sounds like these skills would be really, really helpful. Absolutely. And, and it's, you know, a wonderful thing when you're positioned that way to be the trusted um, confidant in a way and pastors just Mm -hmm. don't have many places uh, Mm -hmm. where they can find that. And so we, we find that coaching 
is particularly helpful in um, in doing prevention, first of all. So helping people establish a rhythm to reach their own goals and their own uh, spiritual formation and well-being. So we can hopefully prevent people from getting into severe burnout or into crises. But even if they are in crisis, coaching can be enormously helpful in clarifying uh, what's needed and serving as a bridge to referring people to mm. a psychologist or psychiatrist if needed, yeah. to a social worker, when especially ministry leaders <clears throat> often are reluctant to self-refer. Um, we often think that we need to be above that or um, we shouldn't be struggling with our own emotional issues if we're helping other people with theirs. And so we can be reluctant to self-refer. And I just found myself over the years coaching countless ministry leaders into other forms of care as well. And then mm -hmm. stay connected to them as a coach. How's that going? How's God using that? And let's talk about your, your other goals yeah. and rhythms yeah. uh, as well. Yeah. The term that I think of, which is probably inappropriate, I probably even shouldn't say it, but it's like the gateway support. Yeah. It like yeah. is the easy entry. It's the, it's the easy on-ramping yeah. to seeking other support. Yes. I don't want to say gateway drug, but I, 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 I don't mean that, but it's that. like yeah. the gateway support. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so we How about that? There you go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Supplement. I don't know. Essential <laughs> oil. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but okay. So we talked about how you can get training to coach others. But also, what if you are just saying, I feel so alone in this and they, I don't have a safe person in my office. Yeah. I don't, everyone around me expects something from me, whether it's yes. my denomination or my family or uh, my congregants or my board, there is no safe person to connect with. Do you have access to coaching? Absolutely. And, and I would just want your listeners to know, I, I have my own coach I've been working with for almost five years now. Uh, he's amazing. And it's just been life-changing honestly, to have that, that thought mm -hmm. partner, um, who, who has the right kinds of expertise. So what, what we have done, uh, the folks that we've had go through the training have kind of been, um, curated if you will. So we've got almost a hundred or so people that have been through our training that are in our coaching network, uh, lots of different denominational backgrounds, men and women, different cultures, ethnicities, and theological traditions. And um, all of them have a lot of ministry experience of one kind or another. So they have been uh, in the shoes of your listeners and mm -hmm. often still currently are. Some of them also have uh, some clinical credentials in addition to like theological training or, or seminary degrees and so forth and pastoral experience. And uh, <clears throat> what we find is that it's just enormously helpful. Uh, in fact, I had a... Uh, coaching client uh, contact me the other day who I hadn't talked to in a while. We had finished coaching for about a year and he'd gone through some really significant, difficult life circumstances. And he just said, coaching has just been a lifesaver. He said, I think, I don't mm -hmm. think I'd be in ministry. I don't think I'd have my marriage and I may not even be alive had it not been for mm -hmm. having someone to, to think with me and journey with me and support me uh, through really complex challenges, which every ministry leader is facing more than ever, uh, especially when we talk about mental health ministry, it, it, there's mm -hmm. complexity to this, right? This yeah. is not a simple deal. Um, and so uh, we, we have both individual and group coaching available. Um, and my recommendation to folks is consider doing a combination of both uh, because there's wonderful things that happen when you get a group of leaders together 
and there's a facilitator to just kind of gently keep things moving in a constructive direction. But the way, Laura, I've seen people like your listeners minister to one another um, is really, really powerful. There is inherent value in getting together with other people that do what you do. You don't have to explain what it's like in the trenches, so to speak. They just know. And then you can share um, uh, sorrows and struggles and joys and accomplishments and be a place to be vulnerable and accountable even and get ideas. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so group coaching can be enormously helpful. It's also uh, more affordable per session for yeah. people. Um, and then uh, individual coaching on top of that um, can also be really helpful to focus on something you really want to do a deep dive uh, on yourself and, and unpack some goals around some particular aspect of your formation in some way. And so Mm. recommend both. Um, And that can be the same coach or it could be two different coaches. We have different ways of facilitating that. Uh, Kind of based on a needs assessment, we will match people with the best fit in our our network. Um, Or if we don't think we're the right coaching network, we'll be honest about that too and give options, but say, here's some other folks we know about that might be a better fit for what you're needing. I love that because so many people have a hard time. Who do I go to? The number of emails that I get was, mm. can you recommend a Christian counselor? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I, you know, I, I, there's a lot of questions to ask to find out yeah. if I would recommend someone, number one, but you've done that work. You've, you've trained people, you're, they're accredited, mm-hmm. you know, you've gone through that. And then also to know what is the specific issue or concern yes. and, and you want it to be the right fit. Yeah. I, you know, when I went to counseling, um, for when I was on Lee, I did not match well with mm-hmm. my counselor, Sorry. but my benefits, oh, it's okay. Yeah. It wasn't bad or anything, but I just was like, okay. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm not quite sure about this. Yeah. So it's really great to have that opportunity to be it able is. to um, well, have that needs assessment. Right. Not not every even Christian therapist works well with ministry leaders. So you do have to have discernment there, and and yeah. our our folks have different specializations, um, areas mm-hmm. where they're they have particular expertise. So for example, uh, some of them may have more expertise in urban ministry settings um, or multicultural kinds of churches or, right. um, uh, like end of ministry, like, sure. or young families kind of thing. different phases of ministry, yeah. those kinds of things. Of ministry, yeah. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, in a whole variety of expertise, uh, for example, another coach we have, he does some of our training too, as a cardiologist and he happens to have expertise in the health issues that we know from research are prevalent among, right clergy. And so he does an amazing job. If somebody really wants to address their fitness and nutrition and health, physical health, he's just a phenomenal coach for, for that mm. kind of leader. Um, so That's th- awesome. those are some I of the specific it. examples that we, we can yeah. connect people with. Yeah. I love that. So if people wanted to connect with you, where would they go? And we're going to have all the links in the show notes. So if you're watching this or listening to this on your phone, just scroll up. I'll have all those links directly below this audio. Uh, but where are they if someone's multitasking and needs to check sure. in later? Great. There, um, our website is www.flourishinginministry.org. And when, oh, you get to that, when you get to that website, you can click on uh, get a coach or become a coach. Uh, there also are a number of free downloadable resources. So there's a flourishing ministry teams 
self-study, for example, that you can download and take your, your ministry staff through together. Um, and there's some other free resources there to download. Okay. Wait, I didn't know about this. Tell me more about that. What is this? Yes. So this is something <laughs> I that, should have asked that before. That's yeah. so good. Well, what, one of the things we know um, from the research is that the, the ecosystem that a leader is serving in certainly makes a huge difference with respect to their well-being. And <laughs> ministry leaders are uniquely in uh, kind of the center of concentric circles of webs mm-hmm. of relationships, systems of relationships. And so we... We want to think about ecosystem well-being and not just self-care. It really is a both and. And so to that end, um, uh, before Dr. Bloom transitioned away from this project, um, he had our team work with him and develop uh, best practices for teams, for ministry teams. How do we think together about uh, our flourishing as a team and our individual flourishing within that healthy team? So thinking more about kind of the team and organizational health implications of, of the research. And um, more and more, I'm finding that's a really important piece that uh, how does the, how does the, the organizational system of the church operate in um, and relate to the leadership, relate to your listeners and their role. Um, and there are some best practices that can help those leaders flourish. And then that helps mm-hmm. everybody get more help and else everybody flourish. That's so good. Okay. This might be a whole nother podcast or maybe we'll add it to like the cohort or something like that, because we have a whole section on the sure. cohort on healthy. And one of them is healthy teams. So yeah. we might have to, we might have to add this to that. Awesome. Oh my goodness. This has been so helpful. I hope people hear uh, your heart and, and the, and the heartbeat behind flourishing in ministry that you don't have to, you know, you're not disqualified from ministry if you're feeling burnt out. That's right. You don't have to end your career on sick leave. I think that's pretty common yep. in yep. health in helping professions. Yep. It is. That you can have a flourishing life. Yes. Where there's wholeness and joy and, Amen. you know, hopefully we're all striving for balance. It's always a work in progress. It is. It is. Uh, but you can have this in ministry. Indeed. It's not a, it's not an all or nothing situation. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. So is there any final words or final thoughts for our listeners? If you could, you know, pull up a chair in a coffee shop and just connect with a, a care pastor at a church in, you know, your local church near you, what, is there something that you would like to yeah. encourage them with? Um, there certainly is. And, and I, I think maybe where I'd want to land is, um, one of the really interesting findings that we found, and this has been, also been replicated in some other studies, that pastors, ministry leaders, pastoral caregivers, <clears throat> whatever your role may be as you're listening to this, who approach what they're doing in ministry as participating with what God is already doing in the world seem to flourish more long-term. Mm. So in other words, if I can rest in the belief that God is always at work all of the time in everyone's life, including the person that's coming to me for help, that before they ever came to see me, God is already doing something in their life. Whether that person Mm -hmm. sees it or not may be a different conversation, but we want to just prayerfully discern what that is, join in with what God's already doing, amplify that, draw attention to that. Um, and that also helps us rest um, in, in God ultimately being responsible for, for the outcomes 
um, that God's going to continue to work in people's lives. Um, even when we need to take a break and rest, um, God will still be at work in us and in them and in the community. Um, and so uh, just trust that God's always up to more than what we can see um, and is always at work in people's lives. And, and we, we can trust God with that. Love that. So wise. So, so wise. I hope everyone takes that to heart. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. Thank I you really so much, appreciate Laura. it. My pleasure. Right. As always, take care. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. So often we are focused on helping others that we forget that growing in our own well-being often gives us the emotional IQ, the skills, and the tools so that we can help others better. If you are the go-to person in your church, or if you are a mentor or leader of others, please check out the Flourishing and Ministry website. I've linked everything in the show notes, the main website, as well as the direct link to that free resource Chris was speaking about, Flourishing Ministry Teams. This has been such a valuable episode, definitely one to share. So before you move on in your day into the next task, please just hit share and pass this episode on to another leader. There are others who need to hear this message. Thank you so much for connecting and take care.